Hey everybody, we at Podgave Rock and Roll Do You want to make it clear that we don't mean any offense by our comments, critiques, or opinions. We're not music critics, just buddies that use talking about music as an excuse to hang out. Also, our language is intended for adult ears. Enjoy! Cause I'm in the shit house Wish I played in a rock and roll band Somebody give me a dollar bill So I can pass out So, Neil, you guys, uh, we hosted a baby shower for you and your wife uh, this weekend, and she was prepared with a playlist. I, I got a, a question for you. When you're putting together a baby shower playlist, A, I guess the first question should be, do you did you have any say in that playlist? And what what are and if so, what are the thoughts going into that? Like, what are you thinking? Well, vibe-wise. I did not have any say. I didn't even know there was a playlist. Um Although this was a co-ed baby shower, I was not on the planning committee. Um, (laughs) Can't believe it. um, So, I mean, coming at it from not even getting to think about it, I'm not even sure. I mean, I think there'd be a lot of crossover from just kind of a lot of the mixes we've made together over the years, including our wedding music, stuff like that, because it's all just soft, pretty stuff. But if I were to have been given the duty of making the baby shower playlist, I would have taken it seriously and probably started with, I would have started maybe with a little Harry Nilsson. There's actually um, a really cool old album called the point. Have you ever heard of that? Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, And that, that's really cool. It's got that me and my arrow and stuff on there. I actually want to, I want to get that on vinyl for the little boy because we're going to have a record player in his his room. So that's on the list. Um, And I also got a yellow submarine vinyl for the little man. So Ah. I probably would have started somewhere around there. Great call. Okay, so another thing. So moving on from baby showers and and baby shower playlists, uh, because that was... uh, And and any Podgave Rock listener, if if you've ever had a baby shower and a playlist, please let us know what was on there. At Podgave Rock is the handle. Um, But I saw this week that uh, I guess it came out that Eddie Van Halen and Chris Cornell almost collaborated on one of Chris Cornell's 2009 songs called Scream. He actually recorded a few parts up for it, but it never came out. So that got me thinking about uh, collaborations. And since we do have a music podcast, I thought, what a better place to talk about it with someone. So first question would be, do you have a collaboration that stands out to you? Jeff? I mean, one rushed right into my mind, and it's kind of like the iconic one that always, always I think about when I think about big dog music collaborations and that's you know clapton playing the lead on while my guitar gently weeps Mm -hmm. i mean i remember being like a little too excited when i found that out like i I, just like already (laughs) it was just like my mind like couldn't like really connect the dots quite quite well like i had known the song for years before i learned that tidbit and I like, yeah. I, I'm quite sure I like argued with someone over it. It was like, no, that's like, <laughs> it was one of those. You're like, no absolutely not. That makes yeah. too much sense. The Beatles never had a fifth player. <laughs> yeah, pre-Google, exactly. <laughs> I thought you were going to go Dolly and Ken- Kenny Rogers, but fine. Sure, I'll, sure. I'll take Number- Beatles Clapton, yeah. Yeah, I mean, as a guitar player, I remember uh, when I learned that, I was probably a little too excited myself. 
I'll, I'll three for that. I mean, it was definitely like, you know, that's cla- that was the first non-Beatle <laughs> yeah. to play. On, like, the best the was telling <laughs> people who don't know. Hey, did you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> then you get into so like, proud. then Clapton married his wife and he wrote uh, Layla and they're like, sit oh, down, I've so got a story it. for you. 60s rock, bro. You're so cool. Uh, <laughs> um, Neil, what about you? What did, is is that the one that stuck out to you, or is there, there another? No. Well, I do want to bring up. I think Bowie is the king of collaborations. Um, probably my favorite is Under Pressure. Yeah. And he also. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with that's that. That's the best. The funniest is Bowie and Mick doing Dancing in the Streets. Um, if you watch that video, uh, it's a real. It's, it's a real oh, comedy. Talk, I, I don't really need to hear the song. No. Um, and another one of those moments where the guitar player sits in um, Stevie Ray Vaughan on Let's Dance. Oh, um, I didn't know that. Oh, it's really cool. Listen to it and you'll be like, aha, yeah, that is Stevie. Because uh, you can cool. really tell. And is it Lennon own yeah. fame mm-hmm. as well? I just learned that today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's I've always I, I've always loved that. I, well, speaking of guitar, I mean that's another one you could go to is, is Eddie Van Halen and on the Michael Jackson mm-hmm, records. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah, you know, or on beat what, it, he beat was on it. Billie Jean. Beat or, it, beat it, yeah. Which is a good one. Yeah, I, I would say Under Pressure, but like another one that I just love to death, which is kind of a little more under the radar, I think, would be um, uh, Willie and Waylon's uh, "I Can Get Off on You," which is basically like <laughs> I don't need drugs. The whole song is just I don't need drugs. I I, I got you, mm. which is great, and it's just the two of them kind of being kind of having some fun and, and doing that and then I, and then speaking of Nilsson and Lennon I would be remiss if I did not say the many rivers to cross that they oh, do together yeah. is a oh, great call a fantastic just vocal kind of it is great collaboration um do you guys think the most important collaboration was run DMC and Aerosmith crossing that bridge uh, yeah. Probably. It's I mean, not my favorite, I mean, the, but I think it was very important. Of, of the last 40 years, absolutely. Yeah. In terms of like impact and steering, like kind of steering cultural awareness or mm-hmm. making it okay to go look in other places, yeah, I could see that. Yeah, I mean, I, it's not, I, I like, I don't really even love like listening to the song. Um, I, I would, honestly, I don't like listening to rap and rock combined in general but i would probably rather hear the jay-z lincoln park songs than yeah than that. and i would take <laughs> at this point i would take the anthrax public enemy bring the noise over all of them uh yeah <laughs> that is fair that is fair um and then another which is a little country i would i would just point out is uh this i'm a big angel olsen fan and sturgill simpson fan and she has a pretty good record that came out this year and he he uh duet um uh, one of the songs called big time uh, with her, which is just uh, right up my alley. To to give like one hip hop one that I really liked over the last handful of years, John Legend recorded an album with The Roots, mm. and mm. it's actually quite good. There's like a bunch of at least you know solid to really good songs on it. Really listenable, kind of a fun upbeat uh, upbeat album. Nice. Okay, I mean I, I listened to the Jay Z and The Roots. Uh, they did one, old, I mean, a long, probably, when we were, I don't know, when we were in college or shortly thereafter. I, John Legend, I don't, I don't love. I, yeah, I, I no, I get, I get it, I get it. He's like, there's more, you know, he's like such a persona, and he's always kind of, you know, a little bit of a media whore, and he's, you know, on the voice, and it's like. Yeah. And then voice-wise, he's like, good, not great, kind of. 
but yeah, he's, I just find I just find him really likable on yeah, like some level. I think live he's great. I would never put just his music on, but when I see him at some like award ceremony or doing something, you know, on TV, I'm like, ah, it's huh, pretty good. Uh, he's like Jeff. I think you said this. I don't know last week or the week before that, like Josh Groban, like you know, has this perfect voice. John Legend is like the Josh Groban of like piano player <laughs> songwriters. I almost feel like because he's so technically sound, the creativity I think you you had said kind of is left out a little bit. Yeah, but I, I think um, Super Polish is kind of his brand. That should be his next album. Um, well, the uh, <laughs> <laughs> well uh, the the gentleman who brought brought up uh, Mr. Super Polish himself, uh, John Legend, is our guest, Mr. Jeff Gross. And Jeff, this is your third week. And the uh, last week of the run, and we always like to ask our guests a couple questions uh, for their last week. And the first one would be, do you play instruments yourself? Yeah, well, first of all, thanks a lot for having me, guys. It's really been a blast, and I've kind of enjoyed it more and more as the (laughs) process has gone on. And, you know, that that all aside, um, yeah, I do play instruments. I grew up playing saxophone and kind of marching bands and jazz bands and reached a a decently high level with that. And uh, I play drums. I've played I played drums for many years and uh, haven't played much in the last stretch of time. But I'm actually you guys will be happy to know I am facebook marketplace trolling for my first drum set in a while nice nice so just okay wait, wait until someone desperate's unloading something decent <laughs> and then we'll uh we'll pounce some student at the end of a semester or something <laughs> need some need some rent yeah exactly yeah so i play a bit of piano and that's i just kind of picked that up because i generally you know end up playing music by myself and that's a mm-hmm. a little bit more fun yeah. to play on my own mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I can definitely attest that in college when we lived together, I enjoyed you playing piano and us singing songs together more than you practicing drums. <laughs> no offense. but <laughs> No, I believe it. I believe it. Okay, so you said you started. So how old were you when you started playing saxophone? That, that was the first instrument? Yeah. Yeah, I started playing saxophone when I was like 10. Probably like from when oh, I was shit. 10 and played pretty seriously till I was you know, 18 or 19. I was in like, a, our, our high school has like, um, like kind of like a nationally known jazz band. And uh, yeah, that's right. two of the guys that were in my saxophone section are both like professionally touring saxophonists even today. No shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we played with these really good guys and I was just like pretty good, but they, they were good bands. That's awesome. Okay, so the last question is, is what is your favorite song to play on any instrument? Oh, man. Well, I've only played one song this week. Um, <laughs> uh, that's a great question. I don't know. I hadn't given it much thought. What's the song you, what's the song you played this week? Oh, I was playing a lot of The Boxer this week. Uh, well, Jeff, The Boxer on the piano and on that note, you were listening to Pod Gave Rock and Roll to you. And this week, uh, we were talking about playing the boxer because we are going to be talking about simon and garfunkel's the boxer from their 1969 album bridge over troubled water written by paul simon and produced by roy haley paul simon and art garfunkel and released on columbia i am just a poor boy though my story is seldom told i have squandered my resistance 
Well, I should just say right off the bat, as a guest on this show, it is hard to pick one song. Mm-hmm. It really is. Like, mm-hmm. I'm sure, you know, you guys get to kind of pick a song every three weeks. I'm sure you have, like, I know I'd have, like, a list in my phone of just kind of, yeah, oh, yeah, maybe do that one, maybe do. But when you got to pick one song, you get this feeling that you're like, you know, it's like projecting your identity out to whoever's <laughs> listening. You're like, Certainly. it has to, like, really. Oh, I love it. Yeah. It has to, like, really yes. represent you. And so I knew I had to pick something that was like kind of serious and kind of important to me. And I knew I had to pick like a real motherfucker. Like, and yeah. Paul Simon is, you know, a real dude. He's like as New York as the Empire State's building or the Yankees. <laughs> and he is just, you know, an institution. And, you know, the, the song with the broad themes i should change that not an institution he's an american treasure and so (laughs) there you go go. then yeah it's demeaning to call someone an institution these days (laughs) but it's so you know the broad themes of um anyone trying to make it and coming on hard times i also and we're i'm sure we'll get into this with the lyrics but i I also like the ambiguity of the punchline. And the real core for me is just like the beautiful melody. And who doesn't love a wordless sing-along chorus? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's outstanding. And, and yeah, and Jeff, you know, the one thing that stands out to me just a little bit on your Paul Simon commentary, that when I think about him, I do think New York, but then when I listen to him, I'm like, I don't know if anybody encapsulates the the sprawl of america as well as he does from that new york vantage point you know like there's country music i relate to more because that's where i'm from but i don't think people outside of that district can relate to it like he writes on like this song and like you know america and homeward bound and stuff like that are songs that could apply anywhere in america even though you can tell they're kind of centered around new york but yeah my, my brother Oddly enough, in the midst of all his grunge listening and Metallica and U2 in the early 90s had the Live in Central Park, uh, Simon and Garfunkel. And, you know, when I was 10 or so, I mean, he listened to it a lot and it was just, oh my God, these songs are so gorgeous and and this and that. Because in the South, it's more bluesy and less melodic. But like... I heard this and I'm just like, oh my god, this is like the best. Like this is like the best country that you could. Like it, it, it just takes all of that into account. And even though I'd heard, you know, Sounds of Silence and Mrs. Robinson and 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 uh, you know, you can call me Alan Graceland, the '80s stuff that was all over the radio. Like this song, I can remember impressing me so much as a kid. And then like I love it even more now. It, it's one of those songs that just it ages with you and you can understand it from a different perspective at all ages and and we we did into the mystic into the mystic a while back and i said man this song just felt like it came out of the ether right it just came to him in a dream and and it always existed and he just grabbed it and and took it but but this song is like you can like feel the work that went into this song yeah it's like like from heaven it's like from somewhere else I know what you mean. But, yeah. but it, it's not effortless. Like, Into the Mystic almost sounds effortless. Oh, I see what this you mean. This does not. Okay, This sounds you. like toil and labor, and it comes across not only yeah. in the lyric, but in the production, and in everything that he's doing in the song 
uh, and and like I mean, it literally beats you over the head in the end with that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> that epic <laughs> snare or whatever the hell that is. When I listen to this song, it, it I feel like I've been through. It's a journey. Ju- I've been on that journey with him, and it, and it wasn't fun, but it wasn't hopeless. And you just take this deep breath afterwards, like you just saw a beautiful sunset uh, after a storm or some shit. Not to get too like no, get deep, bro. <laughs> no, go there, Josh. I like it. <laughs> but I just for any for something like this, and I, I think you know, there's there's few songs that can do what this song does, which is like to experience that much humanity in like five minutes mm-hmm. makes it worthy <clears throat> of all the praise that you that I could give it. I mean, this is another top ten, uh, another top tune. I mean, it's like maybe top ten, definitely top fifteen. I don't know, but I I can't. Say enough yeah, about it. I can't agree more. I mean, this was literally on my Podgave Rock playlist of songs to pick soon. So you did very well, Jeff. I'm, I'm, I, nice. I was ready to talk nice. about this years ago. In the clearing stands a boxer and a fighter by his trade, and he carries the reminders of every glove. And yeah, it's always been one of my favorites from them. And I think it is, uh, you guys mentioned it, just the dramatic chorus, those dramatic drums like they somehow use that reverby uh hit which is actually um i read it's them pounding on a twin reverb so you can hear all the tubes shaking around which is super cool because i've only heard that noise when i accidentally bump into my amp and it's really annoying because it's an annoying noise and you're like shit i just broke my amp but they were just it's such a creative thing to do um to just pound on an amp like that. And it, it, it comes across so dramatic. And I think that's kind of where it gets to that heavenly kind of sound. And, uh, you know, right out of the gates, just the little acoustic intro, the acoustic picking, um, it just sounds so good. I think it's almost impossible to write and record something something like that song these days. Um, do you guys know what I mean? Like, there's acoustic picking songs from this era that, like, you just don't hear anymore. And I don't think it's for lack of trying. It's just, it's it's captured in time. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's plenty of people that do it, yeah. try it, but it just doesn't have that magical sound that it used to, whether it's Croce, Van Morrison, these guys. You know what I mean? Sounds yeah, so great. Fair. Um, that's fair. And uh, once again, um, before this week, I had no idea what the lyrics were talking about. I just, it's pure <laughs> vibe for me. With most songs, I'm all about melody and vibe and sound. So that chorus caught me. And it does say a lot that I was going to pick this with, without having any clue it's even about. Just that the vibe is so good that I'm like, damn, that's a great song. <laughs> I, and if anyone were to ask yeah, me, I would be yeah. like, "Yeah, lyrics are great." Yeah. <laughs> I have to. I have to say, Neil, I'm actually like that a lot too. I often am like somewhat unaware of what lyrics are of the songs or what songs are about. It is for me also feel and vibe mm-hmm. typically. Yeah, so that's that's interesting. Just the big the big chorus. I mean, it just got me every time. I mean, that's why it's one of my favorites. Is because it feels like it could have been over the top and a little cheesy to have that. You know, it's just like oh, it's so dramatic. You're walking a fine but it's line, right there, but, right but up just into the, the step into the line. Yeah. But just off of what you just said there, because Jeff, you mentioned it earlier, and Neil, you just kind of said it. The melody in this song, which is pretty, I mean, it's not crazy. I mean, he's not playing crazy chords. It's really just, he's not really doing anything crazy 
melodically other than putting it in the places for it to be to where the lyric doesn't matter. Like I, I could literally hum this entire song or listen to someone hum this entire song. The melody is mm-hmm. that pretty, and I would I would be mm-hmm. in it. I think. Yeah, the, yeah. It, it would almost be no worse. I totally get what you mean. <laughs> and and like you hinted at Neil, like the Lila Lie, which was just filler mm-hmm. until he found something out, and then people were like, "Hey, it sounds good." Yeah, which <laughs> is kind of which, which is kind of funny, right? Like because the word lie, he even said like. He 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 felt like it was a lie. Mm-hmm. He was like, it's just a it's just a <laughs> mm-hmm. a filler. And he he said on the record at some point that he felt like it was a failure of songwriting. Like just to throw that in, and he was like, <laughs> oh, people like it. I guess they like find meaning in it. Yeah, but see, if I didn't, if I wouldn't have read that and and loving the lyric as much as I do. I would be like, it's perfect. He doesn't right. need to yeah. say anything else. He, you just need these little interludes to separate the verses to, to like show a passage of time or something, right? Yeah, it's it's much better. Just not everything has to fit in that box. Like, oh, I need lyrics here. Like, no, you don't. Like, yeah. just, I didn't even really notice until this week that there weren't words. I mean, I just, <laughs> and then reading it, I was like, oh, they're just saying lie a lie. And then I was like, does he, he actually saying lie a lie? <laughs> Well, there's also a, a little side story about a lot of people said he wrote it about Bob Dylan's uh, amateur boxing career, basically, and how he stole music mm. and that he was a liar. But he was just like, no. Oh, God. <laughs> He's like, I wasn't even really no. saying lie. People just thought I was saying lie. It's not about Bob Dylan, etc. <laughs> That's an interesting story, like whether whether or not he did write it or was inspired to write it about Bob Dylan. I mean, he says that it was about, you know, like this hard time in his career when he was like kind of over criticized and, you know, he was down and related it back to like going out on his own and telling this kind of, you know, universally themed story like with that as a backdrop. But I don't know. Yeah. I think we should be careful when we try to assign what we suspect a writer is writing about. And I think even the writer themselves should be careful when assigning that. Like even they may not be exactly clear on what's inspired something like, you know, something as like this. And that's the beauty of music. You know, you can find meaning in any song for whatever, you know, you think it's about. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's perception and interpretation and all that stuff. And, And for the fact that, you know, when, when you listen to this song and just kind of touching on what I said earlier about the effort and the work that went into it and, I, I, you know, the meticulousness that he probably used to do these lyrics and there were so 16 tracks on this song and, you know, they 100 hours of recording and for him to be able to have the wherewithal and the creative kind of let the song happen ability as well as being such a kind of micromanager of things to let that go to be like okay people say this sounds good why would i why would i do anything else with it mm-hmm. yeah totally yeah i agree <laughs> no i mean i uh, <laughs> i i think it's a great part of a lot of songs usually it's more at the end where that you just start riffing on the melody there's no words but i think it it's a really creative decision to just kind of leave it as it was and and just uh let the melody shine as opposed to forcing more words in there yeah well, well, speaking of the end, the the theme of these three weeks is epic outros mm-hmm. because you had the Stevie Palooza 
And then the Mama Told Me's over and over. And then the La 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 Palooza here at the end. That, you know, I have always liked to listen to the words of the song and, and, and kind of get in there. And this week I really did come away thinking like, holy shit, what that outro does without any words and the way they bring in like the the drum and then the strings every time I hear it those strings just touch a note like it it gives me all the feels and and it's like it's a very profound combination of like the the dramatic bang and the vocals and the soaring strings and then it hits that horn that's like foreshadowing in some way so beautiful that horn line it's so rumbling Mm -hmm. I mean it's almost but it's it's beautiful and it's almost like inevitable yeah i've always envisioned like foggy waves hitting a shore you know and i think maybe even that what you're talking about sounds more like a foghorn to some extent so you're saying you you should listen to this and into into, into the, the mystic mi- listen to this into the mystic <laughs> before and after okay well let's 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 stop clowning around here and and talk about the lyric for a little bit I, I think this is my favorite part of the song. I don't know about you guys. And, and I'll just say, like, that just coming in that first verse is, like, dis- a description of every down-on-their-luck person in America from inception, any time, any, like, decade of the history of this country. And squandered my resistance. Uh, mm-hmm. You're getting to the good stuff. a pocket full uh, of mumbles. Full such of, are promises. a pocket... Yeah, such a promise, and that's like the first blow he hits yeah. right there. I mean, you're just like, boom! What the fuck just happened? I do declare there were times when I was so lonesome I took some comfort there. La, 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 la. Yeah, so it, it paints that picture straight away of, you know, going out on your own, hard times, trying to make it, you know, keep keep getting hit down. Um, I, think, I think it's interesting that... Um, a bunch of lines in this song are actually plucked directly from the Bible. So there's like, I guess it was a stretch when he was traveling a lot and he was reading the Bible in his hotel rooms. The lines, I do declare, um, not lines, but phrases rather, workman's wages yeah. and poor quarters are all plucked directly from the Bible. So we, we talk about, you know, having to be touched from, you know, I'm not a religious person, but having to be touched from, you know, something beyond the everyday to produce something like that. He was clearly mm-hmm. engaged in that kind of uh, thinking oh, yeah. when the song, you know, came to life. A- absolutely. And and it's like he's running from like you don't know what he's running from or why, but you and you kind of get the sense it's out of frustration. But like you also get the sense that it's it's an experience. And he's also in it for that experience and letting it kind of take it wherever it's going to take him. You know, all of this is inevitable. That's why I love the horn at the end. I just think it works with the lyrics. It's just like the inevitability of it all. It's like, this is where you're going. Go with it and and survive. And, and I, I love how he wraps that up in basically three verses. Yeah. Earlier you were reciting the words and you stopped just before one of the best parts. I mean, just the all the lies and jests, still a man's... Still a man hears what he wants to hear and disregards the rest. That's certainly my favorite part of the lyrics. And even the melody, that's kind of, you can almost feel the chorus foreshadowing there because 
all the lies and jest. You know, da da da. Oh yeah, it's and, the same melody. Yeah, that first verse, he he basically is. It's almost like an outline of like here's where we're going, and then he almost tells a story after that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, he's almost a narrator. I want right? to touch on what you said about the inevitability of it, Josh, because I I think there's he you get the sense that even though it's hard he wouldn't have it another way, so to speak. Like, aside, even though he keeps having these pulls, you know, he's wishing he was going home when New York City winters aren't bleeding me. But nevertheless, whatever he's doing is, like, worth the journey. Like, in in that kind of traditional, like, hard things are generally worth doing kind of thing. And you get it with the emergence as the boxer. Like, he survived. Well, so there is an interpretation of this song that it is not necessarily a victorious line at the end of the song. So there's kind of a stream of interpretations of this song that, like, this is just kind of life. It's like, yeah, okay, we're all going through this, and there's a boxer, and we're fighting, but it doesn't mean that this Mm -hmm. has ended. It doesn't mean that, like, all this melancholy that we've just kind of laid out has, like, turned a corner. I would say the best case against that um, is that Paul Simon was the first performer on the first SNL show after Mm 9-11, and he Mm -hmm. played the boxer. That's Mm -hmm. right. I remember Mm -hmm. that. There is some some ambiguity there of of what's going to happen at the end. I just think even whether it's victorious or meant to be victorious or not, that, that, that last verse of, like, coming out of of the winners and the bullshit and all the like you know the whores on 7th avenue and all of this stuff there's a survivor and that is the american story that america likes to tell itself and and the way the beautiful way that he says this in a sad but not hope i mean it's not hopeless there's actually like some hope there because he's bruised and battered and has the wounds and now he's Mm -hmm. going home to what you were just saying like i think this song romanticizes the struggle you know what I mean? I can, I can oh, yeah. picture a lot of people like musicians out on the road, like listening to this song and wanting to go down these roads and struggle. And they may not be standing at the end. Right. He's a lucky one. Who, <laughs> yes. He, he saw some whores and was trying to get a job and people were criticizing <laughs> him, but he's still Paul Simon. There's a little like, <laughs> yeah, there's a little yeah, lie yeah. in here. But, it, but in the end, he wants you to decide. But the perseverance and, like, the luck of the draw aspect of it is very, it's, it's just very American, Yeah, I think. You know, you're on your own in this country, and you have to make it up. Yeah, the punchline floats either way, to be honest. Like, right? Like, if it's a victorious thing where he's turning a corner, if not, the point kind of that, like, at the heart of all this, there's just a fighter, right? Like, and all of us are just yeah. a fighter for whatever we're you know, seeking in our, you know, in Mm -hmm. our short time that we have. I don't think I ever realized how many little musical breaks are in this song. You know what I mean? There's like the, yes. I don't know what the first musical Uh, break, I can't tell what it is necessarily, whether it's a pedal steel or that's definitely a horn. horn. You're talking about that one? That is definitely uh, yeah. a horn. Um, yeah. 
Um, no, but like that, just that part you were just talking about. I love how it, they do that little mini bridge, and then there's a mini guitar solo as well, just a couple licks before they come back in. Well, yeah, and where they place them, and how they're supposed to represent some emotional, like the, the I mean, the most obvious one is the uh, the I do declare there were times when I was so lonesome I took some comfort there. La 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 mm-hmm, la la. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> we don't, I'm not gonna say it directly. Yeah, yeah. And that that horn part actually yeah, follows them, so it's great. just like it's just kind of like fill in the blanks. Yeah, a lot of humming, a lot of lying. <laughs> a lot of lying. Okay, so so let's kind of move into some of the production and musical aspects. As 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 we said, you know, uh, Roy Haley is the producer with Simon and Garfunkel, and Simon Paul Simon's playing acoustic guitar. You also have uh, Joe Osborne on the bass, Larry Nectel on piano, Fred Carter Jr. on guitar, uh, who's playing that other mm-hmm. acoustic with him, Pete Drake. Um, the steel pedal and dobro, Hal Blaine playing drums, uh, Jimmy Haskell and Ernie Freeman on the strings, and John Faddis, Randy Brecker, Lou Soloff, and Alan Rubin on brass. Did I miss any musician from the <laughs> I don't know. But, <laughs> we are the world. <laughs> but but again, like you mentioned, Neil, the the pr- production wise, supposedly the guy mic'd up everything. Like they even had a breathing track. Yeah, didn't they, they record in. the chorus at a church? Yes, in a cathedral, which you can mm-hmm. kind of tell. Yeah, St. Saint, right? Saint Paul's on Columbia. Yeah. Which you can tell it's natural reverb in there, yeah. like with, yeah. with the vocals. And uh, outside of the chorus, the tone of the vocals and the music that are going on in the, in the verses are basically the same, right? Mm-hmm. Well, what do, you, what do you mean specifically? Like just like tonally, like vibe? Tone, no, like tone. The, the way they sing is so breathy and soft. Mm-hmm. And with those soft kind of acoustics and even the drum is just boom, yeah boom, no boom, there isn't even boom, a drum boom, set boom. is there i mean it sounded like it was just percussion yeah oh is that all yeah. it is yeah. yeah well it could be but yeah probably not so i think i'm i'm going to give the first critique in this 45 minute love fest for this song i'm wondering <laughs> if you were going where else yeah and i i think almost every simon and garfunkel song with few exceptions is better pared down is better as the two of them or you know with a a light band behind them just for a little support and you you know you see this in the the famous albums like the you know the central park album and so forth um yeah they are notorious over producers and i i i I'm going to say it. I think the biggest bit of overproduction in this song that kind of grates on me if I think about it too much is the big drum beat in the La La Lies. Oh, no. I, That's I, why you like I, it, buddy. That's why you like it. Oh, hot take. I know. Hot take. I know. Well, I find it a little corny. Well, <laughs> like, I was thinking about this. I think the reason, I because I think it's right on the edge of corny. And I think the reason it isn't is because... At first, it sounds like a Def Leppard or Phil Collins, like doosh, doosh, <laughs> glitter on the drums, doosh, <laughs> glitter <laughs> on the drums. <laughs> but the fact that the chorus was recorded in a church, real reverb, and they're just pounding on a tube amp to get that big sound, that's what gives it the authenticity that it needs. Um, and I, I just think it is almost cheesy, but it just, it hits, I think it hits everyone every time. You're like, oh God, I love this song. 
Yeah. Yeah. It, it really, it hits me there in the points, like, especially like with the, with the horns and their voices, just, just the way that all blends together. I mean, I would, I would even go so far as to say, and I was thinking about this today, Jeff, cause I was like, man, they're, and reading a hundred hours, 16 tracks just for this kind of acoustic folksy song. Right. right? And right. when you hear that, you're like, holy shit, why? But because it does, it sounds great. Just playing it on an acoustic and with them singing, like you said, it's still going to sound lovely. But for me, like something like this, they went for the epic, and and I'm glad they did. Like I, I it, it is a fine line what they're doing in certain places, especially with that drum. But I, I think they succeed. I'll tell you, and this is maybe less popular. I don't know, but I would much rather have listened to this than like Bridge Over Troubled Water, which almost is too. They almost make it too epic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For, for like my too, like too flowery, like too many be. strings. Yeah. Yeah. And I think yes. I agree with you, Jeff, that it was a little overproduced. I mean, I had it written down that this was a kitchen sink song. It was just like everything. Get the mouth harp. Get the, get the horns out. Pedal steel. <laughs> hey, guitar solo right here. Just a, just a little one. And like, I mean, and I would take out the mouth harp. I mean, it's just so on top. Like, I do think it is cool because like he's taught like right when it comes in he's talking about how he left home and i almost picture him like walking along a riverside it's almost like kind of mm-hmm. bullfroggy a little bit yeah you know um so it <laughs> we, we, we talking about jeremiah we it works but i mean it's it's definitely the song is kind of all over the place but because of the acoustic guitar and the great lyrics and uh singing it keeps it all together you know i i guess what, what my my point is it like on a deeper level is like if you hear the two of them perform this almost any point in history like as young men in their middle age as old men is the song any worse when it's just the two of them like in an auditorium it's like so like gut-wrenchingly beautiful and i love like paul simon has probably performed this song thousands of times right like and it seems when you see him perform it he like treats it with the seriousness that it deserves like every single performance but i hear you uh my one of my favorites that i listened to was the carnegie hall performance um i like that better than the central park one because it's just the the acoustics are better like there's not all the Mm -hmm. the crowd noise it just sounds more intimate and they crush it (laughs) Yeah, and maybe just going full circle with the production thing, maybe the what I'm talking the acoustics and the vocals just ground everything within the song. Where everything that's going on around it, it, it sounds fine because what that what those elements right there mm-hmm. are doing is all that really yeah, matters. Yeah, I think the right? percussion helps too yeah. a little bit. I um, at, coming out of the choruses, it has this like clip clop, like you're on a horse, like mm-hmm. dum dum yeah. dum. You know, it's it's really. <laughs> Yeah, it, it, <laughs> bom, 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 let's bom. not forget the and then cut and for every glove that cut yeah. him. Yeah, a victim and his shame. That that also every I look forward to that part and that delivery every mm-hmm. time I hear the song. It doesn't matter how many times. Every time I listen to it this week, yeah, like, that oh, that clip clop thing, that kind of um, yeah, yeah, yeah. gallop. Yeah, it's it has that galloping feel to it, but it's like. We're going to talk about the covers, but some of the covers really overdo that. And even like, and we'll note, I'll note a particular one that even like it puts it on the upbeat a little bit too much. And mm-hmm. I, I think uh. it like really 
like grates against like what you were saying, Josh, that the strength of the song is this beautiful vocal and melody. Mm-hmm. And that the really everything just has to support and clear for that. Yeah. And and just, you know, before we kind of get into all the, the, the fun stuff, the there's no need to harp on their vocal. Like it's it's beautiful. The harmonies are amazing. Yeah. Um, is there something that stands out to you guys or is it just all just like this is what you want when you listen to a Simon and Garfunkel? This is what you expect when you listen to a Simon and Garfunkel song. Nothing stands out that we haven't already talked about. Um, and my only gripe is the mouth harp. <laughs> <laughs> Rightfully so. <laughs> um, and, and Jeff, any, anything just vocally that other than it's amazing yeah I, I mean there's that one pass right at the end of the first chorus that i i actually had never heard until this week when i listened like real pretty loud on headphones when they it's a it's a humming part and it's like hmm, 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 hmm. but they're all but I mean, they're alternating the steps down so it's like simon does a hmm and then the next step down is garfunkel and then hmm. they finish the run down if you if you listen carefully and that that jumped out at me that's just like that's just fucking skill mm-hmm. you know it's like mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that goes to the overproduction though when you when you spend that much time on any every little yeah. thing and when you're that talented you're gonna come up with some writer gold. and performer like just like you there's there's <laughs> nothing you can't do and yeah, side yeah. note, by the way, like, poor Art Garfunkel right now. We're having this, like, we're talking about a Simon and Garfunkel song, and we're, like, it's a Paul uh, Simon love that. fest. I don't want to hear that. <laughs> no, you're not bothered. <laughs> you're not. He, he is one of the producers, I mean, too, you know? Yeah. No, he's he's great. He's a great compliment to Paul Simon. And I've, I've listened to a lot of just Garfunkel, and it's nice, but it does it's it's it doesn't hold a candle to Paul. Like, these are his lyrics, no. his chords. You know, yeah, of course. I don't think Art gets enough credit, but at the same time, I think yeah, he right. put in himself in a position to be beat upon a little bit. Well, I, I think <laughs> there's there's like a um, there's a charm to that that like not yeah. a lot of people. Well, I mean, I guess you could look at it both ways, right? Like you you were lucky enough to like cross paths with Paul Simon and like just go yeah. for the ride, mm-hmm. but you also have to have like the right kind of disposition to be willing to be sure. that kind of number two. Yeah. 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 It takes yeah. a, you, you gotta be willing to be Pippin or Garfunkel. <laughs> Pippin like or Garfunkel. You, you know, you're like, Oh shit, I'm on Jordan's He's team. Scotty uh, Pippin Pippin and Garfunkel. Oh my God. That's a buddy comedy for the ages. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going um, to wrap up some and, titles here as, as the number two, but a couple fun facts before we move to, to move on. This did top out at number seven on the charts. It is, uh, number one hundred and six on Rolling Stone's uh, top five hundred, which makes it one of one of the highest numbers that we've done. I would say probably fifth or sixth. Mm-hmm. So I mean, you know, it got the accolade accolades then, and uh, I think it's bad time. Jeff, are you ready to bring us in one last time? Oh hell yeah! All right, we'll cue the music in three, two, one. I do declare. <laughs> <laughs> I like I like your your short bursts of, of song. I, I, I like I like I like <laughs> I like how you how you approach this. Uh, but Jeff, this is your song. So when specifically do you want to hear this? Oh man, like all the time. <laughs> like, I, yeah, I, I can't pick out a particular particular time. I I guess I I don't want to 
hear it too much because I feel like I, I have to stop whatever I'm doing if, yeah. if like it comes on or it like it's so true it's a huge distraction you know like i was listening to it all week like driving my girls around and, like, I, I, yeah Running no i noticed that shit. they were <laughs> yeah they, they have said my name for like three minutes <laughs> i'm just like i'm just like no girls one more time we got it we got like there's a few more covers here we have to check <laughs> oh that's great i mean i you know i want to hear this i mean the perfect time would probably be like at sunset uh, walking near like a like a body of fresh water i think you know a lake a pond mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know maybe even sitting on a rock mm-hmm. i don't know exactly where but i know that i need to like have something beautiful around when i hear this mm-hmm. so i can just almost meditate y- with it yeah but isn't it one of those songs that like makes whatever yeah, you're yeah. looking at beautiful yeah it sure does. you're like like I've, dri- I've driven down this road like 400 times and like I never noticed like this is actually a beautiful place. Yeah, even if you were driving. My, my vibe has been expanded. Even if you are driving past <laughs> okay. Skid Row, you'd be like, oh, yeah, this makes sense. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like yeah. some of these guys are going to come out. Some of them are going to come out. Um, and, you know, on that note, <laughs> I feel the same. I feel like this is an amazing time of year for this song. Like I definitely want dark, cloudy skies, fall breeze. So I'm either hiking or at an overcast barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> overcast barbecue. And speaking of uh, overcast, I think it's time we, uh, over overcast barbecues, I think it's time we slide on the influence and talk about the influence of this song. I, I'm going to start as he started here. I mean, this is basically just like, you know, you, taught, you said New York, I said America. You know, I think this goes back as far as like the Carter family and Hank Williams and Bob Dylan and mm-hmm. Lead Belly. Basically, just just storytellers from from before, and and he just falls kind of in that line. Gershwin, even. Um, but moving forward, like like you said, Neil, like just the picking and like any epic acoustic song, I I think about this song, mm-hmm. especially if it's one that like like I said in the beginning displays like humanity in, in a in a really beautiful way. Like uh, My Morning Jacket has a song called Golden. Yeah, that's great. That's call. Very beautiful. Mm-hmm. Fast Car by Tracy Chapman is a song that that make you know kind of resembles this and to a lesser extent you could even say dust in the wind mm-hmm. <laughs> sure the, the the divine nature of it <laughs> but should we obviously like dylan's a huge influence on paul simon yeah. and um i mean they have like somewhat of a complicated relationship but, but um the other um direct kind of direct descendant that's a huge influence on them as the Everly Brothers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, oh yeah, certainly, absolutely. Like yeah, from the acoustic to the harmonies too. Yeah, specifically the harmonies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and if you go there, whenever we mention the Everly Brothers as influence, you have to go even go back to the Lubin Brothers in the forties, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. they took a lot of their stuff mm-hmm. from. Cool. Yeah, and then moving forward, I I had actually like I struggled to find influences in like the eighties. Or like even in the seventies, but yeah, I guess all anything, any folk that stuck around kind of is can can attribute it to this. But more modernly, I think bands like the Fleet Foxes are extremely mm-hmm. influenced by this. Oh my god, yeah, yeah. it's yeah. great call. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. You know, I've mentioned Iron and Wine in the past, and I think it's in a, a similar vein. It is so course, Fleet Foxes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really is. I can't believe I didn't yeah. think of that. Um, yeah, and I'll just, I mean, I had down a lot of contemporary stuff. Like, it definitely reminds me of the Mamas and the Papas a little bit. Um, For sure. 
I mentioned Croce, um, and the uh, the song "City of New Orleans." I feel like is very similar, just kind of almost melodically, and kind of just the vibe of it. That's a that's a good call. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know if I don't know if that came before or after though. Yeah, I'm not sure. And then speaking of Dylan, like this is just another version of "Hard Times in a New York Town." You know what I mean? <laughs> and there was one more like it reminded just of what he's talking about it reminded me of that song i bring this up a lot from that country funk album hanging out with the yeah. street people oh, <laughs> yeah. bobby charles oh yeah um I, I like that um and and you know what i like to do after a, a, a long new york night and hanging out with street people is uh slide under the covers and that, that's where we're heading now, fellas. And, uh, Neil, you, why don't you let us know about the covers that you listen to for this well, song? Well, speaking of Dylan, I listened to Dylan's version. Um, not a huge fan. Um, it was it was a little weird. Uh, doubled vocals. Not, <laughs> they throw you off yeah, a little and bit. The, the chorus, the chorus doesn't have the same punch. And then uh, I listened to Jerry Douglas and Mumford, Marcus Mumford, do this. It was very, very good, very dramatic, like... Obviously, you can't hold a candle to the original, but I think they did a good job. And I have some more, but one that really stuck out was uh, Waylon Jennings um, just kind of crushed the song. It seemed perfect for him, and they didn't even do Lie a Lie. It's just an instrumental kind of chorus that works. I didn't I didn't love it. It was I, when, I got very excited when I saw that he covered it, and then I was just like, eh. It was almost too peppy. Well, I just think it's like it sounds like if, if you hadn't heard the original, I th- it sounded almost like he he really brought it. He really kind of made it his own. Yeah, I gotta go check that one. I didn't I didn't listen to that one. What 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 other ones did you listen to, Jeff? Yeah, so I actually love the Bob Dylan one. I like the Bob Dylan. I, I version do. A I lot. do too. I enjoyed it. Um, and I found it. I found it fun. It was fun. So, and I think he was having fun. With I it. think so too. And I, but I also really like Self Portrait maybe more than the average Dylan fan. It's like I like that um, that like secondary singing voice that he has, and obviously he uses yeah. that in this song. And I, I think. I, I enjoyed that. Um, I also really like the Mumford version, and I think they he does it justice with the mm-hmm. horns, and they have that great ability to you know like only have like the snare drum and the bass drum, and I think that's that just suits this song yeah. really well. Even just Jerry Douglas and that sweet dobro mm-hmm. is perfect on this song. Exactly, and the version I, I was alluding to earlier that I didn't love that I was really expecting to love was the Emmy Lou Harris version. And that's ah. that's the one that like they it goes like a little too country shuffle where like the mm-hmm. shuffle beat is like hard on the upbeat and I think it just it just kind of gets in the way for me. Yeah, I listened to the first uh, couple of verses and I was out. I, I didn't hate it, but uh, I thought it was nice. But uh, you know, I'm not going to return to it. I, I didn't mind it. I mean, I think Dylan's was probably my favorite. I heard just because I did think it was fun. I, I could I couldn't bring myself to listen to the Mumford one. But I guess I I will now that both of you guys have have lauded it a little bit and the Wayland and I kind of stopped at that. I mean I listen to a bunch of the live versions, but and they're all fantastic. <laughs> I just think it's pretty hard to fuck up this melody. Yeah, yeah. yeah, honestly. One that I listened to that was fun. I I was digging deep, <clears throat> going way down the Spotify list. But this like I guess Irish band called the Scarlet Scallywags, and it was exactly <laughs> what you might think, and it's just hilarious to hear what they're doing with this song but then taken to the full kind of monty the lighty lie 
Oh man, sailor! Oh my goodness, sailor tattoos and big pints. Oh my god! Well, let's take it all the way down to the bottom to where the feet reside, and and talk about the shoes and how the shoes fit for the boxer by Paul Simon. Jeff, it's your song. So, how does the shoe fit? Yeah, just like a comfortable loafer on sand or on a trail. Something, something. So we're like no socks, no socks. No, oh, yeah, oh, this is for sure a no sock song for me. This is, <laughs> I mean, I want. I mean, I know I did the barefoot thing last week, but this song feels like very elemental to me, and like could very easily be another barefoot song. Yeah, but that the winters are harsh. Yeah, uh, true. So you got to have a little cover on there. Uh, <laughs> They're bleeding you. Uh, I, I'm gonna say I'm gonna go pretty literal, and I'm gonna say this fits like a shiny red knee high. With Whoa. the white laces, like there's some drops of blood, Whoa. like staining Jesus. some of the white laces, you know. <laughs> Did not that see stick that. Stick to the shine, and uh, you know, some someday they'll be like in a place uh, of honor. Shiny like, knee highs with white laces. What? The the boxing oh, shoes. God. Oh, the boxing shoes. I thought you were the horse on Seventh Avenue. Yeah, me too. I was like, what? Uh, either way, you either way. Clown who <laughs> fell on hard times. <laughs> Did you fall? <laughs> Where did the blood come from? Oh, goodness. Well, <laughs> Neil, how does the shoe well, fit? Well, the shoe fits. Fits great. Um, but these shoes have been through a lot. Definitely seen better days. But they are currently clean, but only because they are soaking wet from the New York autumn rain. All right. I like it. Weathered. So we can, we can call them weathered. Yes, weathered. And uh, they should be thrown away soon, but can't yeah. afford a new pair. That's... They're survivors, my friend. Survivors, and uh, and just like just like the listeners, they survived this love fest. And on that note, <laughs> um, <laughs> Jeff, it's it, you know we mentioned in the beginning, but it's been a pleasure, man. Thank you for doing this. Um, we really appreciated it. Yeah, man. been a pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it has been great. We we talked about some great songs. Absolutely, and uh, and on that note, our cover of Simon and Garfunkel's "The Boxer." I am just a poor boy, though my story's seldom told. I have squandered my resistance for a pocket full of mumbles, such are promises. All lies and jest, still a man hears what he wants to hear and disregards the rest. La 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 la. When I left my home and my family, I was no more than a boy in the company of strangers, in the quiet of the railway station, running scared, laying low, seeking out the poor quarters where the ragged people go, looking for the places only they would know. Lie, lie. Lie, 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 Asking only workmen's wages, come looking for a job, but I get no offers. Just to come on from the horizon, Seventh Avenue. I do declare there were times when I 
cover you just heard was performed by Josh Bond. Thanks for listening to Pod Gave Rock and Roll to you. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and rate on Apple, iTunes, and Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to communicate with us, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram, uh, Patreon, and even Reddit under the handle at Pod Gave Rock. The next couple weeks, we are going to be taking some time off to record uh, some of our own music under the moniker For The Kings. Uh, so we're very excited about that. But while we're recording, we're going to push all of our creative energy into that. Uh, so the pod will be taking a back seat for a couple weeks. But in three weeks, we will be back. And at that time, it will be Neil's week. So Neil... In three weeks, what will we be discussing? In three weeks, we're going to dive into 99 Luff Balloons by Nina, 1983. Damn, wait! <laughs> <laughs>